passage is from Genesis 25, verses 1 through 18. If you have a Bible and want to open it, you can. Otherwise, it might be on the screen. Genesis 25, verses 1 through 18. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, Lemumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Efer, Hanak, Abida, Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of, in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahoiroi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, uh, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Neboioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names. By their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his, against all his kinsmen. Thanks, John. All right. Man, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, I see several people that I have not met yet. So my name's Tanner. If I don't know you, I'd love to get to know you um, soon. But we've been going through the book of Genesis. Um, it's 50 chapters long, so we're about halfway through our series here. And so the last several weeks and maybe even a couple of months, we've been looking closely at the life of Abraham. And so we were introduced to him at the end of chapter 11. Uh, chapter 12, he was called by God and God blessed him. Um, in the following chapters, uh, he had moments of, of really great faith. And then he also had moments of not so great faith. Um, and despite Abram's faith or lack thereof, uh, God moved toward him. He entered covenant with him in chapter 15. Uh, his story continued. Uh, God continued to be with him. He continued to reassure him, and he even kept making new promises with Abraham. And in chapter 23, we saw that Abraham's wife passed away. And last week, as Cody preached for us in chapter 24, we saw the narrative of the story of Genesis starting to shift from Abraham to Isaac, his son. And so as Abraham was in his old age, he blessed his son and provided a wife for him. And so 
we've entered Abraham's story as he learned to follow and trust God, as his faith grew and as it wavered, as he faced many obstacles and as he celebrated many victories. Uh, chapter 25, these first verses that John just read for us are verses today. So they, these really wrap up some loose ends for us as far as Abraham is concerned. And it, it really does the work of shifting our attention um, and the story and the narrative, the plot line of Genesis to Isaac and his offspring. So let me, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump in. So God, we are really grateful that you've let us all be here this morning. Uh, Spirit of God, we need you to meet us right now. Uh, we need you to illuminate this text. We need you to illuminate um, the heart of God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and so Lord, would you even meet us in a way that convicts us where we need conviction? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Uh, and Lord, would you, would you be present with us? Um, would, you, uh, would you just be our friend and be near to us? And so we love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so at, fir at first glance, uh, today's text uh, can be a little... Like it leaves us wanting a little more. Uh, you open your Bible, go to ver or chapter 25, and it makes, if you're like me, it can make you a little anxious and nervous just reading the names to yourself, let alone standing in front of people and reading those names out loud. So thank you, Jonathan, for that. Um, but maybe it might even want us to, like it makes us long for some more insight into the, to the last years of Abraham's life. Maybe we want some like imparting words of wisdom from this great man of faith. And so I, I think that's also kind of the point of this, of this text and these verses as well. As Moses is writing the Israelite story, he wants to make it clear. He's saying here, he's like, hey, Abraham, he's not the main character. And at, at best, he's a supporting character, and that's what he's always been. God is the one who sustained Abraham God's the one who led Abraham, he blessed Abraham, he entered covenant with Abraham, and as the narrative continues from one generation to the next, we're reminded once again that God is not just the author of the story, but he's actually the main character. He's the one that's driving the, the plot line of our story forward. And so remember, the original audience that this was addressed to, the book of Genesis, were the Israelites soon after they were delivered out of Egypt. And so we've said it many times throughout this series as we've been looking at Genesis, but a big theme of this book, now that the Israelites have been delivered out of Egypt, is actually to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And so another way to think about that is like now that they're, the people are physically free, we, or we, Moses is building a foundation and setting them on a trajectory to be, to be spiritually free. And so these transitional texts and genealogies are deeply important to these people to help them understand who they are and how they fit into God's story. So let me read verses 1 through 4. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Leomim. The sons of Midian were, were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. So it's unclear from the text 
when Abraham married Keturah, whether it was before or after Sarah passed away. But either way, these first verses show us the fulfillment of one of God's promises to Abraham. So we're very literally reading and witnessing Abraham become the father of many nations, just like God had promised him. And so an important message in, the, in this transitory text, it, it's communicating that God's promises are here to stay. People, people change, people die, life moves on. God's promises remain with his people forever. And so in verses 5 and 6, we see that Abraham gave gifts to all of his sons. They were all taken care of. And verse 5 specifically tells us that he gave all he had to Isaac. So let me read, starting in verse 7. And we're going to spend quite a bit of our time here in these uh, verses 7 through 10. So let me just read them for us first. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. So Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Again, if you're paying attention, this is exactly what God promised to Abraham in chapter 15, uh, verse 15 as well. I'll quote, it says, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And so I want to I spend some time here in this text and ask, ask some questions for us to think about. First, how was this true of Abraham? How is it true for him to, to live a life that's satisfactory and at the end of it, he's able to look back and be content? Yes, I think that God spoke it and it came to pass. I think that's a very good and a very fair answer. But I want us to think about this. What does it mean to, for him to actually be an old man and full of years? And how can this be true for you and me? So we're told that he died at a 175 years old. But this phrase, full of years, I think it's getting at something more than, more than his age, more than the, that number. Like, like, how was Abraham able to live a life full of purpose and meaning? A life that was honoring to God? A life that was poured out for the benefit and blessing of others? A life full of years, no matter how many times he circled the sun. And so Abraham, if you think about it, the things that we've read and talked about, Abraham had great business success. He was victorious in many, in many battles and even on the world stage. He traveled to beautiful places, and he, he even went as far to dine with kings. Yet, what I'm making the case for today, what allowed him to be full of years, as the scripture tells us, what allowed him to be content at life's end was not any of those things, but it was actually his friendship with God. So his friendship with God has been evident um, so far in Genesis. It's evident even in Abraham's death. And it's explicitly mentioned three times in Scripture outside of Genesis. So if you look at Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, you don't have to turn there. You can, you can fact check me, um, but you don't have to turn there right now. Isaiah 41, verse 8, and even in the New Testament, James chapter 2, verse 23, all of those explicitly mention Abraham, the friend of God. 
And so John Calvin, a theologian from the 1500s, he put it this way. He said, Abraham died at a good old age in a good conscience and with peace of mind. He went on to say this. We see how many in our own day are in bondage to the desire of life. Yet nearly the whole world languishes between, on the one hand, a weariness of the present life, and on the other hand, an inexplicable desire for its continuance. So they want it to keep going. The contentment with life, therefore, which will cause us to be ready to leave life, is a favor from God. So in other words, he's saying, on one hand, life is really hard. We're tired, we're worn out, we're exhausted, more than we're not. And it's easy for us to recognize that things are not as they should be. Sin and its tentacles, so think about like sickness, disease, destruction, division, death even. All those things, they're far-reaching and they're felt in all areas of our life. Yet, at the same time, on the other hand, life is beautiful. We want to experience it. We love it so much that we want other people to experience it. And then on one hand, as years go by, tragedies inevitably stack up. Sadness may feel to only grow deeper. Dreams seemingly get, keep getting crushed. And yet, in the midst of that, God himself has befriended us. He personally befriended Abraham. And through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he wants to befriend you and he wants to befriend me. Just like God called Abram, he entered covenant with him. He made and kept promises. He, he audibly spoke to him. And, and God gave him the grace to live a life full of satisfaction and years. He offers that to us tenfold for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. So if your life is in Jesus, what that means is you're wholly bound to him. What's his is yours. So his righteousness yours. His spirit that raised him from the dead, yours. His eternal life, yours. His resurrection from the dead, also yours. And so, so that brings up the question, the next question that I want us to think on. What, what is friendship with God, and what does it practically look like? So what I what I was thinking about, I think that friendship with God is that it's realizing God's pursuit of you. Just like he pursued and made the first move toward Abram, God is orchestrating history and moving in our family trees to be with us. So while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, and he can't help himself but to move towards us. He can't help himself but to move towards you. And once, once you realize that, you receive his friendship. So this is a decision that, that each of us has to make. So we're all born sinful. We're all born enemies of God. We're all born as not his friend. But this is the good news. Because Jesus came to earth, he lived perfectly, fulfilling every promise and prophecy written in the Old Testament because he died in our place, because he was raised to new life, all we do is accept his gift and become his friend. That's it. And so anything beyond this, or anything chronologically after you receive his gift in the Christian life, 
is a byproduct of repeating and pondering on step number one, which if you miss step number one, it's you come to Jesus and you trust in him. Everything after that, we can try and make it all complicated and do all these things, but at the core, you just repeat step number one. Trust Jesus, follow him. Okay, what's next? Go back to Jesus, keep following him, and he'll, he'll show you the way. And so for those in the room who follow Jesus, I want us to think about this. And if you, if you don't follow Jesus yet, I actually think this is very helpful for you can, to consider as well. To the extent that we receive God's friendship and blessing through Jesus is the extent that we can bless others through our friendship. So Abraham was able to live a life full of years because of the depth of friendship that he received from God the Father. So let me, let me say that again. To the extent that we receive God's friendship and blessing through Jesus is the extent to which we can bless others through our friendship. So many of us desire deep and meaningful relationships. We want, we want to know each other and be known by each other. So we don't want to live like one life at home where we're all by ourselves or just our family sees us and then we you know, go to work or come to church on Sunday and we have to uh, pretend and like fake this whole other side of our life because we don't want this, this other part to be exposed. Um, so sometimes you'll hear us say language like, we don't want to play at church. And that's what we mean. We don't want to be one person at church and another person the other six days of the week. Um, we don't want superficial and transactional interactions. Uh, we don't, or we do desire deep, meaningful, impactful friendships. And so in the pursuit of friendship, we typically cast a wide net. Uh, we project our best images. So think of the way that we act on social media. We want people to think that we know what we're doing and got our act together. Uh, we look for friendship uh, tips and tricks or life hacks. You know, we, we read all the books, we, we listen to the podcasts, we uh, subscribe to the blogs. Uh, sometimes it's just like, oh, I need to try harder and be a better friend. I need to figure out a way to, to add more value to this other person's life and, and just try to make them like me more. When in reality, what you need is to receive the blessing of God's friendship, his friendly and gentle heart towards you, and this is fully expressed in the person of Jesus. So how do we, at this point, it's like, okay, how, how do we know, if what I'm saying is true, how do we know what, what the heart of God is towards you and me? So I've got a few things written down for us. So first, um, the Bible is a very helpful way for us to know the heart of God. We need to read it, we need to study it, we need to get it in our bones. So these are God's words to us. Uh, it's, it's actually his story of his love for us. Second, I think that we can ask God, just straight up ask him what we think, like what his posture is towards us, what he, does he approve of us, does he not approve of us, does he love us, what does he have to say? I think we can ask him. So he's spoken authoritatively once and for all through the scripture, through the Bible. And 
he's also alive and well, and he's big enough to handle your questions. And so I do want to say just a couple things. If you, if you choose number two, which I, I highly recommend, um, one, be ready for an answer. Don't ask him if you're not ready for an answer. And two, make sure what you hear lines up with Scripture. You're not going to hear something that does not line up with Scripture. So as Christians, we've all got God's Word and His Spirit to help us teach, teach us what His Word says, help us interpret, help us counsel, give us wisdom through His Word. And then we've also got each other to, to talk to and be like, hey, I, I think I heard this. What do you think about this? And we can bounce ideas off each other like that, which leads us to number three, which um, is to be engaged in the local church. And so every Sunday we, we preach through the Bible verse by verse. Uh, we do our best to expose God's heart toward his bride, his church. Then we flesh out more details of how his word affects our day-to-day lives as we gather in each other's homes and our community groups throughout the week. Uh, we eat dinner around each other's table. We open the word. We ask God. And then we also help each other. And so what we're doing as a church is we're forming routines to reorient our hearts to, to form habits, to form routines, to form liturgies in our life and in our hearts based not on what anything else but the life and the heart of Jesus that he has given to us. And so to the degree that you know and experience God's heart of friendship toward you is the degree that you'll be able to bless your friends with that same love. And even one step further, the degree to which you realize how much of an enemy of God's you were is the degree to which you'll find a way to make peace with those that you disagree with now and those that you can't stand to be around. Another word for that is your enemy. The degree to which you realize you were God's enemy at one point is the degree that which you'll be able to make peace with your enemies. And so if strife and division are common themes in your life, um, maybe if you're more polarizing, you, you're actually in more arguments than you are peaceful conversations, or maybe that doesn't, that's not like a defining characteristic of your life, but it's like you've got that one person who you just can't stand to be around the other 95% of your life is going great, all this stuff, but there's just this one person that, you're like, wow, I, if I didn't have to be around them anymore, I would, I would choose that option. Take, take a second, think about this. So, you, yes, you disgraced God with everything you did and did not do. Every fiber in your being since the time that you're in your mama's belly was against God. As disrespectfully as you could, you spit in God's face and you tarnished his name. That's just a bunch of words to say, I was an enemy of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he showed us, which with he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. And so once, once you realize the depth and the length that God has pursued you, and the resources that he unleashed to rescue you as his enemy, you cannot help but find a way to make peace with those who vote differently, I mean, who are your enemies. You can't help but make peace with your enemies once you realize what God the Father through his son Jesus has done for you. And so this same, this same frame of thinking can be applied to, to any aspect of life. Think parenting, work, whether you're the boss or whether you work for the man, um, your family, literally anything that you can think of, I think this applies. To the extent that you are acutely aware of God the Father's love and heart and posture towards you is the extent to which you'll be changed. It's the extent to which you'll, you'll be able to operate with joy and actually bless others. It's the, it's the measure of life that matters when it's all said and done. So Abraham made it to the, end of, to the end, and the scripture tells us he was full of years. And this, I, I believe, is because he received the friendship of God. So let me read verse 11 for us. It says, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy, so this place, it should sound familiar. Uh, it's the same place that the angel met Hagar when she was pregnant with Ishmael. And so it actually means the well of the living one who sees me. And so here, um, God's promises, one, they're being flat out fulfilled. Two, they're being passed down on to the next generation. And the third option is all of the above. No, no other options. They're either being flat out fulfilled or passed on to the next generation or all of the above. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that, that Isaac, the son, of, the son that God promised to Abraham, I don't think it's a coincidence that he settled at one of the most shameful places in Abraham's story. And so when we're, when we're talking about receiving the friendship of God, this is what we're talking about. God desires to know you when he desires to know you, I'm talking about every embarrassing detail, every place of shame and pain in your life, every silly quirk about you, the details of your life that you don't want anyone else to know. In Jesus through his, and through his spirit, God moves toward us in these places, not away. Nowhere and nothing is off limits for God's friendship in our lives. So in moving towards us, he offers us forgiveness, healing, affirmation, and redemption. So the rest of these verses uh, cover, cover Ishmael and his descendants. Again, God is fulfilling a promise to Abraham to make him a father of many nations. And this is despite of Abraham's ability to listen and hold his end of the deal. And so in a divine act of friendship, God works out the details in history to redeem even the most embarrassing part of Abraham's story to be used for good. Despite Abraham's lack of faith, God is reminding his people of his faithfulness. Not a time in the story where questions could easily arise. It's like, okay, God, you, you've given the promises to Abraham, but he's no longer going to be with us. 
What's, what's the deal? What's next? What's going to happen? God is reminding us of his steadfastness, his ability, and his desire to keep his promises. And so our lack doesn't drive him away. It's actually the only thing that qualifies us to be his friend. So would you guys, would you guys pray with me? God, we do thank you for, for moving toward us. Um, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for befriending us. And God, we know that you aren't moving toward us in ignorance. You know us. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. And so would you let that comfort us this morning? Um, again, would you encourage us or we need to be encouraged or we need a friend to, um, to come alongside us and, and give us a hug? Lord, we ask that 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 would be happening in these moments uh, or we need a friend to, to convict us and um, challenge us. Lord, we ask that you, you would do that as well. But we love you. It's so hard to, uh, to even think about Jesus, the Son of God, befriending us. So, Lord, would you, through your Spirit, help that make sense to us? Um, yeah, Lord, would you, would you let that captivate our imaginations, just the fact that God himself wants to be our friend? God, we're so grateful that, that you see us like that, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so as we, as we come to the table... How, how do we know that Jesus wants to be our friend? He, he easily could have had heaven without us, but in a remarkable act of love, in a remarkable act of friendship, he came to be with us in the flesh. The Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God, came to be with us in the flesh. He made a way for us to be right with God. He rescued us. And he put 100% of his efforts and resources into rescuing us as his enemies. So if you just think of this as like a, a big peace offering to his enemies to make us right with him, he didn't, he didn't give us like 90% of it and be like, okay, you guys, if you can just meet me 10% of the way there, this, we'll call it a deal. But what he actually did is he unleashed all of his resources, 100% of everything that he could, have, he could have given, he gave to us. And we see this at the table, represented by the bread and the juice, so his body and his blood. If he, if he wanted to give more, he couldn't. He's, this is it. And so as, as we come to the table, let's, let's ponder on the reality of our friendship with God made possible only through his son, Jesus. And so when you're ready, we'll come down the middle aisle. Um, the Phil Greens will, will serve the bread. And so we've got juice and wine, obey your conscience there. And then you'll go back to your seat, remain standing, and then um, I'll come up and lead us in taking it all together.